What's up, Open Floor Globe? This is Ben Golliver with The Washington Post. I am joined on the other line, as always, by Michael Pina of SB Nation. Now, Michael, I don't talk about my college existence too often on this show, but I do think it's relevant here. Now, I actually went to college for writing, creative writing, um, not journalism. So I wasn't learning how to interview anyone. I wasn't learning about ethics and all of that. I was learning... Basically, let's sit in a room, you write something, I write something, let's hand it around, and then let's like dissect every single word to the nth degree. So we've got some girl going home for Thanksgiving, having a bad interaction with her aunt, she writes a 200-word rant about it, and then we've got to go through word by word and say, oh, that worked, that didn't, wow, your aunt sounds terrible, let's all like talk about your family. On and on and on. I bring this up because I was having flashbacks while I watched Michael Jordan's incredible tribute to Kobe Bryant at the Memorial on Monday. It was a type of thing where I really did want to dive in and go almost word by word to see the, the point of what he was trying to get across, to see his big picture vision for how he wanted to remember Kobe Bryant, to describe in personal detail their relationship in ways that we had just never heard before. And it really brought me back to those writing seminars rooms where, okay, maybe it's not just the other kids in the class, but like you're, you're breaking down the all-time greats. Uh, you know, whether it's like Yates or, or Frost, whoever, and we're going, you know, word by word, stanza by stanza, trying to figure out, uh, you know, what they were doing. And I don't know, Michael, maybe I sound like a crazy person or a lunatic right now. But when you were watching Jordan, did you have that same mentality? Like, were you savoring every little bit? Because first of all, we never really see him, right? And second of all, we definitely never see him that vulnerable and that uh, willing to defer credit. I mean, this is just a completely different look from him than we usually get. Yeah, right off the top. I mean, you sound totally deranged. No, no, <laughs> perfect. Just kidding, man. Uh, <laughs> um, no, I mean, my initial reaction, I don't know about you, was just, I was stunned. Like, I, I was incredibly surprised that honestly he was even in attendance and you know that just kind of speaks to his mythical aura and it's not that he would be disrespectful or anything like that but he just doesn't show up he doesn't speak he doesn't make public appearances like the the number one thing that we really think about when we think about Michael Jordan post-retirement is the Hall of Fame speech and just how vindictive he was in it and it's kind of a bummer when you think about that speech in its totality so as he i mean when his name was announced i was i knew he was there because they showed him and he helped vanessa off the stage which i thought was very touching after her speech which was incredible and one of the strongest things i've ever seen a human being do um but when his name was called like i was speechless um I never in a million years would have expected him to speak, let alone cut open a vein and emote so honestly about a relationship that, I mean, I never even knew or realized that it was that meaningful to him or even that it was that deep. Did you even, were you even aware that they were that close or that they had that type of uh, relationship? Of course not. And you, you're making so many great points. Let me just follow up real quick. First of all, I actually loved the Hall of Fame speech. I'm zagging on that one, okay? Because it was <laughs> it was pure Mike. It was exactly who we understood him to be uh, at that stage of his career. And I don't think he had processed fully the idea that he couldn't play anymore at that point, right? So I do think that there was like 
just some bitterness, some desire to be on the court to the ultimate competitor. What do you do with your life? I mean, I think that some of those things were coming through in that speech where, you know, he's kind of at a crossroads. And I do think that like, at least that speech was honest, right? Sure. He's like going after high school coaches and all this other stuff, but he gave you exactly who he was. You had an appreciation for what made him the player he was uh, by just his entire approach, which most normal people, you know, most everyday citizens just could absolutely not relate to. Now, in terms of the Vanessa thing, him helping her off the stage, it seemed like the the perfect move for him to be a part of the ceremony without having to give a speech because if he's there but not talking, everyone's going to make a big deal about that, right? So having him help her was like the perfect excuse for him not to have to do it. But then, as you're mentioning, he, he gets his name called and he's going up there and he's struggling right off the bat. You can tell he's nervous. He, he's worried about being able to keep his composure. And it's like, here's this guy throughout his entire career, always meeting the moment, always living up to the pressure, whether it's the shrug, the last shot, the shot at uh, North Carolina, time and time again, he was ready for whatever the stage was. The spotlight could not be too bright. And here at the very beginning, it seemed like it was. He, He starts off by saying, I would say good morning, but it's afternoon. And that's the type of thing, Michael, that you and I would say uh, at a wedding speech if we didn't prepare anything, right? It's like, oops, <laughs> oops, my mouth is just going and I didn't know the words were coming out. And it was so funny because, you know, Mike, we've always seen as kind of composed, as regal, as withdrawn, uh, sort of in his uh, retirement, like you've describing, never showing his emotions. And here he was like helpless. He was at their mercy right out of the gate. And so that was fascinating. But your other point about, um, well, we're surprised that he would even do this. Look, I'm his biggest stan, and I assume that he would just duck this one, right? Because it is such a difficult and unprecedented moment. There's nothing but downside, in theory, to doing it. Uh, You know, if you don't come off well, if you do come off like your Hall of Fame speech, um, if you don't strike the right notes, the family is there. Millions of people are watching. Millions of people are watching and grieving. The entire basketball community is there. The pressure is absolutely no joke. And for Michael to kind of pick himself up after that that initial stumble and go to the places he went, it was insane. I finished watching that speech, and no lie, I texted like half the people on my phone. That was his seventh ring. Like, honestly, it was up there (laughs) with some of his greatest basketball accomplishments. And I say that... Much like I had said something similarly about Shaquille O'Neal last month. I mean, remember when he was on TNT and he made such a point to bury the hatchet with Kobe Bryant, to make sure that that kind of a storyline would not overshadow the rest of Bryant's life. I thought it was so big and so smart and just so kind of Shaq to do that in that moment. And it, it stood in contrast to his reputation as this guy who's kind of goofy and, and maybe immature at times and, you know, certainly had his own, uh, you know, wars with Kobe Bryant. But Michael, it was a very similar transformation. Here's a guy who never wants to show his soul, never wants to appear vulnerable, has punched teammates and has held a grudge against his high school coach for 30 years because he did make varsity when he wanted to make varsity. Here's this guy describing his love for Kobe Bryant and describing in very clear details how Kobe Bryant pushed him to be better, right? All of that was absolutely stunning, and I was just sitting there with my jaw dropped. No, I mean, I'll pick up right where you left off, which was 
Jordan talking about how Kobe pushed him and how he inspired him to be a better father about, you know, Michael Jordan is basically, as you alluded to, he's the Michael Jordan of holding grudges. <laughs> and he, he, here he is talking about how important it is to live in the moment. It's like, this is someone who he's he's great in part because he lives in the past. He holds on to things. Yeah, uh, the guy who's telling us to, chip on his shoulder. to live in the moment is the same guy who's still mad about the Laney High School varsity cut list from like, what, <laughs> 1977 or something like that? Exactly, yeah. So, so things like that really stuck out to me. And honestly, they changed how I will forever view Michael Jordan going forward. Uh, and uh, I just thought, I just also want to say, something I thought was very beautiful was the constant... Uh, little brother uh, sim- uh, symbolism that that he he cited constantly throughout the speech, and I thought it was a perfect way to kind of put uh, his career and Kobe's career and properly put perspective on their legacies. And it kind of felt like like a posthumous knighting of some kind, where it's like this is my little brother. I'm the best player of all time. Everyone kind of agrees on upon that. Um, this was my my heir apparent. This was my apprentice. And absolutely. One, it, 100%. And on that, I, I wrote a column about the validation aspect of this speech. You guys can read it on the Washington Post. Please do. I'm actually, I don't usually plug the stories that I write. I was proud of this one. And I think that it's going to be, this moment is going to be held up for years and decades. And there's so many emotions coming out of that memorial that it make it difficult to understand what's really going to have a lasting moment here. But what Jordan said about Kobe, the little brother stuff specifically, uh, is going to stand the test of time. And Michael, I think uh, the way he got into it, not to go back to the writer's workshop analogy, but when he says, you know, Kobe is like a nuisance, like a little brother going through your closet, you know, trying to get your clothes, everyone can relate to that, right? Like my little brothers, they used to always order the same food as me when we would go to the restaurant, right? Uh, you know, just all those little things. It's so personal. It's not Jordan being the superhero version of Jordan or like the idol that Bryant worshipped when he was growing up. It's just Jordan being a human like the rest of us. And then the line where he says, you know, Kobe being a nuisance, that nuisance turned into love. I don't know who wrote that. I'm going to just pretend it was Jordan, but that is brilliant. <laughs> and this is what I mean. We can dissect these words word by word because it's just so tight and frankly genius. I mean, the, the descriptions of the 3 a.m. phone calls where Kobe is asking him for advice uh, about virtually everything, about his approach, about his technique. When Kobe's saying, what should I be doing with uh, Gianna? Michael says, well, you know, how old is she? She's 12. Michael's saying, look, at that age, I still wanted to play baseball. You know, I mean, it just kind of, again, it, it, it's these two ultra competitive guys who were pitted against each other for decades now sort of revealing that they were actually in this two-man club where uh, they just like to, you know, send out LOLs back and forth over text messages in the middle of the night because that's what they do. It was amazing. And and the other line that I do think we should highlight here as we're describing this is, you know, Jordan starting the whole thing off by saying, look, everybody wants to talk about the, the comparisons between Kobe and I. I just want to talk about Kobe. And when he said that, it was amazing. Because throughout his entire career, the ball is always in Michael's hands, right? If we talk about Michael and Scotty, it's never Scotty and Michael. 
it's always Michael and Scotty. And for, for Jordan to realize that this was a moment where he needed to be stepping back, where he needed to keep all the focus on Kobe, and he needed to talk about how Kobe made his life better, it just hit the notes perfectly. I'll be honest, I was nervous. I didn't know he was up to this. But once he got to that line, I was like, okay, this is, this is I, I had a, a deep sigh of relief. I was like, all right, we're, we're going the right direction now. Yeah, one of my other favorite parts was just like the essence of how touched Jordan was by the fact that Kobe was so inspired and so driven to be better than Michael Jordan that that Kobe would have the humility to reach out and constantly pick his brain for advice. Like that clearly touched a nerve for Michael Jordan. And, you know, I thought the most powerful line that was read when he said that, when Kobe died, a part of me died. Like that, that was just, that's like the essence of, that encapsulates how I think a lot of people have felt over the past month or so. Um, I, I, I too loved the stories, like the, the Phil Jackson story where he comes in 99 and Kobe, first thing he says is, did you bring your shoes? (laughs) It's just like, that was, that was incredible. And I think we also need to quickly mention the, uh, crying Jordan meme joke, which, was so perfect and added levity to a very serious situation. And uh, the fact that Jordan could laugh at himself like that in public with millions of people watching, it's just one of the reasons why it will, I'll just never, ever, ever forget it. Let me double back on that one because I do want to underline your point about uh, how a piece of Jordan died. And he's admitting that on stage as he's crying, as tears are just flowing down his cheeks, right? Let me just contrast that openness and that vulnerability to what Jordan said when Kobe passed him on the all-time scoring list. And remember, dorks like me, every time Kobe or LeBron threaten one of Jordan's marks, dorks like me send the emails and do the phone calls to Este Portnoy, who's been his longtime assistant. And it's like, or I guess SD, I should say, uh, apologies there. Esty, we need a statement from Jordan. Esty, would Jordan want to talk about this? And every single time it comes back, no, no, no. We'll put out a press release, and that's all you're going to get, right? Years and years of this. When Kobe passed Jordan in 2014 on the scoring list, he wrote a press release as if he was trying to sound as monotone as possible. He described Bryant as, quote, a great player with a strong work ethic and an equally strong passion for the game of basketball. Like you contrast that with a piece of me is gone because Kobe's dead, right? And it's night and day. And that's why it goes back to this idea of who could have ever seen this speech coming from Jordan. He's been hiding it. He's been working as hard as possible to hide it for years and years and years. And I really do think when we look back at all-star weekends, like in, in Charlotte, He's nowhere to be seen. Chicago, nowhere to be seen. If there was two years where he should be kind of front and center, those were the two years. And I think part of him is trying to shrink his shadow a little bit. I think he realizes every time he talks about these guys, every time he puts something out there, um, it winds up overshadowing what they're doing. It winds up changing the whole conversation. It winds up taking these debates about Mike versus Kobe, Mike versus LeBron, kind of to toxic places. And I think that he is like, I've got $2 billion, I've got a basketball team, I've got a sneaker company that prints money, I've got six rings and two Olympic gold medals. Like, why do I need any of that? I don't need a standing ovation, I'm, I'm good. And I understand that perspective, and um, I actually kind of appreciate 
the fact that he has been removed at times, even though I would love to just, you know, have him on Instagram every single day so we could follow him. Uh, but I think that his scarcity is what made this speech so great because this is a guy who never gives out the compliments, who gives out these bland press releases. And now he's just saying, okay, Kobe, you know what? You earned it. All those years of questions, uh, of asking me about things, all those late, all those battles in the all-star games, you know, all those years of you chasing me on the championship list and on the all-time scoring list, you earned it. Here I'm coming and I'm getting you back. Right, and I'm paying you back for all of those memories and those experiences. And I thought it was phenomenal. And I think if you're Kobe, I mean, it's the ultimate mentor-mentee relationship. And secretly, and maybe even not so secretly, every professional who looks up to another professional could be any walk of life. It doesn't matter, writer, you know, construction worker, whatever. Everyone would love to have that moment publicly where the person they've idolized for years and decades, the person that has they've chased, that's inspired them, that they've been obsessed with, tells the entire world, you know what? This guy pushed me to become better. This guy, I love this guy. If not for this guy, I wouldn't be uh, viewing the world the same way. And that's where the validation part comes in because Jordan really basically made it clear to all of us that he had finally met his match. You know, I mean, this is a guy who's never given an inch in the GOAT debate. And he comes out and says, this is what Kobe Bryant does to me. He knows how to get you in a way that affects you personally, even if he's being a pain in the butt, right? He's saying, look, Kobe <laughs> is in my head. I'm the most single-minded competitor the NBA has ever seen. And Kobe got to me and I respect him for it. What more, what better compliment from what better source could Kobe Bryant have ever dreamed of? There is none. I mean, that's that's why it was so beautiful. And just to kind of circle back to something you said earlier, and, it, and it's pretty trivial bringing it up in this context, but last year, LeBron on one of his shows, I don't even know where, he said, he said he called himself the best player ever because, and he explained why he believes he's the best player ever. And... I expected some kind of response from Jordan because he did. I don't. I don't think he released a statement, but I, I remember reading a quote of his, and he just didn't take the bait at all about it, and he took the high road. And I thought that was pretty uncharacteristic, but it might just be a sign of his aging or whatever. I don't even know. But I also have a question for you, real quick, Ben. Well, yeah. So <clears throat> Jordan does that because he he thinks it's him, and there's no debate, right? And I think that of it, course. I think if we gave him truth serum. He'd be like, LeBron's not even in this conversation. It's me and Kobe. <laughs> like, I think that's how he views it. Because there's been previous moments where he was asked to kind of compare the two of them, and he always would pick Kobe over LeBron, even like deep into Kobe's uh, decline. Now, not into his injury decline. Um, but yeah, that's a good example, actually, of LeBron, you know, in my mind, kind of speaking out of turn here, you know, telling everybody, hey, this is how it's going to be, trying to push his narrative. And Michael feeling like, you know, I don't need a narrative. Uh, my body of work speaks for itself. Well, yeah, if you are the best, you can't call yourself the best. That's just not how it works. It's, it's like giving yourself a nickname. Those things just don't work. It's, it's invalid if you are the one doing it. Um, but let me let me ask you a quick question, Ben. Um, how much would you pay to read the transcripts of all the correspondence over the years that Kobe and Michael Jordan had? I mean, that should be a book. Um, it would be absolutely it really should. insane. I mean, when he was kind of, and actually it seems like Kobe might've been a Hall of Fame texter too. Like every single person had the text message story. I mean, Rob Polinka's text message story from the helicopter. 
I mean, that was, uh, you know, a huge bag of weight on everybody's chest, you know, hearing that one. But it sounds like he was just a phenomenal texter. And I don't know, maybe that could be like a, a project for his foundation to just kind of like go through. And I mean, I guess maybe there's some invasion of privacy issues or, or not, but, um, you know, find the best conversations because I'm sure he's talking to all sorts of different people. Like if you're the head of Apple and Kobe texts you, you're texting right back. You know what I mean? If you're Michael Jordan, oh, 100%. And Kobe texts you, like you're texting back like pretty instantly. That could be a great book. That's that's an awesome idea, actually. Yeah, uh, I mean, I was just thinking about it when because I, I just didn't have any idea and I could just be ignorant, but I had no idea that they communicated as often as they did, that they were as close, that they were as deeply connected. I mean, they're, they're connected through like media narratives and like, it, but that's in my head, that's how it, it's always been. But it's all just still something that I'm trying to like come to terms with as I'm trying to like reshape how I think about Michael Jordan. But it was just so, it's just such a powerful speech on a powerful day. For sure. And it also reminded me a little bit of when LeBron, after the game uh, against uh, the Blazers, where he had given the speech pregame and then he opened up to the media postgame. And it's really his most extended and kind of heartfelt commentary about Kobe where he was saying, you know, essentially a similar message of like, seize the day, hug the people around you, you know, tomorrow's not promised, like, you know, that kind of a, a message coming from LeBron. And it was very clear that these guys who had also been pitted each uh, against each other, really shared a lot in common. And I think that what we've come to realize, and this was a point uh, that Doc Rivers made uh, last night, is just that Kobe's death has brought the NBA community together in lots of ways that nobody really expected. I mean, look at the incredible list of players and figures who were at that uh, you know, memorial on Monday from Adam Silver, Michael Jordan, Bill Russell, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Magic Johnson. I mean, the list goes on. Jerry West, uh, Elgin Baylor, the list goes on and on and on. And I think that what we've also seen is that it's brought those A-list alpha type guys together too, or at least it's changed how we perceive them because they're always pitted against each other in public. And what we came to find out was LeBron could really relate to Kobe. A lot of the stuff he was going through, they spoke the same language, fame, entertainment, uh, being trying to be the king of L.A., you know, all that stuff they saw eye to eye. Um, you know, fatherhood, uh, raising daughters, uh, again, same deal. And, and then we saw that magnified even more uh, between Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. You know, same thing where their similarities behind the scenes just far outweighed the differences that, that you know, media and observers and fans have tried to construct uh, over years and years of arguments and, and back and forth about, you know, who's better or, uh, you know, any of those kinds of things. And that's a key takeaway from this whole thing. You know, I, I really do think that, uh, you know, we can view all of these major players, Jordan, Kobe, and LeBron in a different light uh, because of this unfortunate tragedy. Hey guys, what's up? This is Ben Golliver with Sports Illustrated's Open Floor Podcast. Keeping a healthy lifestyle should be easy, right? You eat veggies, drink green smoothies, exercise to get your heart rate up, and do yoga to bring your heart rate down. Woo. Well, maybe not so easy, but there is something that helps improve everything, and you can do it with your eyes closed. It's sleep. Sleep Number knows what it takes to sleep your best. The Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed lets you choose your ideal firmness, comfort, and support on each side, your Sleep Number setting. It's the perfect solution for couples. These beds are so smart, they respond to your every move and automatically adjust to keep you sleeping comfortably all night. 
Proven quality sleep is life-changing sleep. And now, for a limited time during the Memorial Day sale, save $1,000 on the new Sleep Number Special Edition Smart Bed, a queen now for only $17.99. You'll only find Sleep Number at Sleep Number stores or by visiting www.sleepnumber.com. That's www.sleepnumber.com. Hey, Michael, we got a question from Aaron here. Uh, on kind of a similar subject, and I think it was prompted most likely by, uh, you know, the greats that we've seen here, uh, you know, on center stage recently. And he writes, I'm a longtime listener, but first time emailer. I frequently listen to your podcast while I work out or I'm driving long distances. Aaron, great job. We love those, uh, those methods of listening. He continues, I've had this idea for a long time, but I've never had the opportunity to share it with anyone. With the recent Hall of Fame nominees being announced, now is the perfect time to get your perspective. It's too easy to get into the Hall of Fame. I believe the Hall of Fame should be reserved for players who are going to be remembered for decades to come. It's not too late to go back. I want to propose an idea for the Hall of Legends. This hall would be reserved for players who have changed the game and inspired players, players who will never be forgotten by the amateur fan. The obvious players who would make the list right now would be Michael Jordan, Carl Malone, Larry Bird, Oscar Robertson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, etc. But guys like Mitch Richmond, Nate Thurman, uh, and so forth, they might make the Hall of Fame, but they wouldn't be in the Hall of Legends. Then he asks us, Michael, who makes your Hall of Legends and what's your cutoff point for players who make it and not make it? And which current players do you think will make the Hall of Legends? So these are great questions, big philosophical questions. And, and Michael, we should note Kobe Bryant will be or has been selected as a finalist for this year's Hall of Fame class. And so he will, you know, be inducted later this summer once they make it official in April uh, into the actual Hall of Fame. But is that enough? Uh, Aaron wants to know, should there be an even more exclusive club? I mean, Ben, we could go, you and I, like five hours on this question alone. This is such a great question. Uh, it stopped me in my tracks when I first read it because I, I I had to give it the respect it deserved. And so, you know, instead of kind of combing through all the absurdly intricate reasons who of, of you know who I, who of who I would include um, on my hall of in my hall of legends and why i would do it uh, i have a rule and so to be in my hall of legends <clears throat> you have to have been one of the three best players in the world for at least three seasons at any point in your career so that's like the bar right there does that does that that pretty much makes sense right you, I'm not, I'm, you have not lost me yet uh, it's not the most complicated rule michael i'm with you i like this rule you're you're, you're wetting my appetite please continue <laughs> Okay. So, I mean, it's obviously inherently uh, subjective. And to get the players that I got in my Hall of Legends, I combed through basketball reference this morning and I looked mostly at MVP award shares and all NBA teams and just other imperfect stats that would help guide me through to get to the 24 names that I have. Um, so, do you want to start with the names or should we start with my toughest omissions? Um, let's let's start with your names. Look, if they're getting snubbed, let's just leave them out of it, Michael. All right. Let's let let me know who's in the club uh, based on Michael Pina's uh, you know all time rankings. Okay, so there's 24 names here. Oh wow! Are you ready? Is this a Kobe yes. tribute? Did you do that on purpose? <laughs> I did not actually. Oh, you backed into it. Serendipitous. Nice. Yeah. Uh, Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, Bill Russell. Bob Cousy. All right, Bob stop Pettit. right there. Stop right there. 
Come on. Oh, gee. Okay. Yeah. I think that the first four are good. Bob Cousy. Come on, man. Come on. Dude, it's, this is Legends. <laughs> That's right. what it is. You got to respect the Legends. All right. I'm playing. Keep going. Okay. Cousy, Bob Pettit, Jerry West, Elgin Baylor, George Mikan, Tim Duncan, Shaq, Kobe, David Robinson, Oscar Robertson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Wilt Chamberlain, Moses Malone, Carl Malone, Hakeem Olajuwon, LeBron, KD, KG, Dirk, and Steph Curry. It's a very, very, very good list. Uh, can you tell me your favorite Bob Pettit memory? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm using, I'm, I'm picking that one out because I'm wondering if you're still being a little bit too... Tied uh, to my rule? Well, yeah, tied to the rule, but also just generous, right? Because if we're, if if the idea of the Hall of Legends from Aaron is that we're just trying to say the people who really, really resonate, there's probably five names there, and they're all, you know, guys from the 50s, 60s, and 70s where they've hung on uh, mostly because they've been honored in various other ways, right? But do they have a, a direct connection uh, with future generations and or even the current generation? And that's a really tricky question to to answer. I mean, I go back to this idea of like, what's the current generation's connection to Jordan? And it's sneakers. It's not, you know, it's sneakers and YouTube. It's not anything that he did on the court. And it's only going to get worse. And so if you're saying, okay, here's a guy in, in Bob Pettit who didn't have the uh, opportunity to play like on national TV, who doesn't have, you know, uh, endless you know, reels on YouTube, who doesn't have dunk contest highlights for people to relate to, really has no entry point for the casual fan. If we're really trying to make this thing the hall of legends, do we have to cut out the Bob Pettits of the world? Do we have to trim your list from 24 down to maybe like, I don't know, 15? What do you think? I mean, it's like, in my opinion, it's a little disrespectful to like history and the greats who dominated their contemporaries that's like that i mean all about well, it could do is just destroy everyone in this path i mean come on okay so first of all let's reframe this it's not disrespectful to keep hall of famers in the hall of fame okay like they're still in the <laughs> hall of fame that's the greatest sign of respect that we could show them we're actually building a second hall of fame specifically for the guys who we feel like we really need to anoint to an even higher level um you know, I think my other takeaway here is on the current players. I think for sure LeBron gets in. I think Steph Curry actually has locked up his spot because of how much he altered the way the game was played. Like, you can't tell the story of the NBA without Steph Curry here over the last 10 years, so he has to be in. But Kevin Durant is actually a really interesting case study. I'm not sh- – and look, as you know, I'm his most vocal defender. He's got to be in there. Defender. Dude, he's – I know, but, but I'm saying if he retired today, you're sure he's getting in or are we giving him another five years to accumulate stats and to maybe, you know, compete for another title and everything else? I mean, based solely on his current rundown, I mean, we're looking at what two titles, two finals MVPs, um, a regular se- season MVP, four scoring titles. I, I understand it's Hall of Fame worthy. It's first ballot Hall of Fame worthy. Are we saying for sure Hall of Legends? What was really interesting in putting together this list was that I did not want, like, the whole point of it is to not have any debate. So if we're going to debate KD, then he's just, he's got to come off, even though I do think, as opposed to Bob Pettit, who's just in cement. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I do think, like, I, oh, I, I, I see love your, this Bob I, Pettit idea. Let's see one <laughs> Bob Pettit highlight that we could just both just recall from memory. Um, 
Yeah, no, I just think that like with the current guys, it's really tricky. And I think that's what Aaron was trying to get at, right? It's like, okay, who has made it for sure at this point of their career? And um, did you leave off D-Wade? I did leave off D-Wade. I left off Scottie Pippen. Mm. I left off Charles Barkley. I left off Allen Iverson, who, uh, you know, in terms of resume, was really interesting just because, like, I, like he, he was super influential and everything like that. But it, it, we, I don't even want to get into a whole Allen Iverson thing, but I just think he wouldn't be in the Hall of Legends for what he accomplished on the court. Um, well, let's <clears throat> let's put it this way. If the players had any say, Allen Iverson would be in. Did you have Malone in and Stockton out? Did I hear that right? Yes, I had no okay. John Stockton. Well, we're not building this hall. Okay, sorry. You, you have not been approved <laughs> for the funding to build the Hall of Legends. Stockton needs to be in. Malone's questionable to me. I understand the point total thing, but everyone's going to say throw him in. Malone wasn't even the best player on his own team for three straight years, Michael, let alone a top three player in the NBA for that long. Come on. Uh, two MVPs. I mean, I know one of them was very suspect, but okay. I, I'm like, I'm not really going to die on the hill that is Carl Malone. Um, that's the but... statement that's been said by every <laughs> analyst throughout history. I don't think anyone ever defends Carl Malone in any of these debates. Um, so uh, we're a little scatterbrained here with these different ideas, but are you pretty locked in to this notion? So if you do like 24, that's basically what, like four or five guys from every era? Is that one way we could break it down? Where, you know, maybe Bob, Bob Pettit doesn't look so weird by contrast if you're just saying, like, look, every decade gets maybe— a, He's next to George Mikan. Right. Like, every decade gets five guys, right? And then, you know, that's sort of how you do it. Could that be a, another way to, to finesse this thing? Yeah, I mean— by my super specific criteria, there can only be so many players. I mean, that like when you are the best player in the world, you usually don't like relinquish that title for quite a quite a while. So um, that's what made it so restricting. And I thought was a good way to kind of dial down and figure out who exactly are the the like the actual le- legends. So I j- real quick, can we talk about current players? Yeah, for who sure. Who would potentially crack this list? Um, I don't have a long list of names here. Uh, I think, I think James Harden could, but I don't think that if he retired today, he would be in there by any stretch, primarily Def- because of the postseason. Not. Yeah, definitely. I, I not. know how you feel. I know how you feel. Oh, I, I like um, Harden. He's just not there yet. I mean, everything I said about KD is just amplified for Harden. But continue. Right. So then, I only really have two other names, and. They better be Giannis and Zion. (laughs) (laughs) Giannis is one of them. It's not that if he retired today, he would be in there, but he's certainly on a trajectory here. He's about to win his second MVP, and his team is going to potentially win 70 games in the NBA championship. So Giannis is there. Uh, And then the next one is just Kawhi Leonard, who I have a soft spot for and who I think will continue to add on the ridiculousness that he is uh when he is healthy if he if he is able to stay healthy for the next five or so years i think it'll be a, a foolproof foolproof resume for him no it's a good one and he's a guy who a lot of people would forget and who would be deserving if he continues kind of accumulating like he has these last couple of years in terms of awards and trophies and all that um you know I think that of the younger guys who have a shot, I would say Luca and Zion are both like on our trajectory watch, you know, mm-hmm. 10 years mm-hmm. from now, they've got a chance. Um, I think Giannis certainly has a chance. Um, 
But rather than this Hall of Legends idea, you know, I'm almost wondering, you know how they have all those statues and monuments in D.C.? I, I just got back from D.C. last week. I'm a big statues guy, just period. I'm wondering if rather than like a Hall of Legends, if even your criteria is just being too generous, because let's be honest, how many guys are going to go to Springfield and then pay extra on the ticket price for the Hall of Legends to go see Bob Pettit. It's not happening, Michael. The ca- casual people <laughs> aren't doing that. I-, I know I'm fixating on him, but there's other guys on that list that they just don't have that magnetic quality, right? But by contrast, like at Staples, that magic statue has a lot of people taking pictures around it all the time, right? Or in DC, 24 7, 365, people go to take photos with Abe Lincoln, right? I mean, that's just the thing that you do. And he's sitting there watching over us. I'm wondering if we could actually make sort of like a gallery of statues for just the absolute cream of the crop. Like I'm saying top eight players maybe of all time. Jordan's statue would probably be twice as big as everyone else's in my own personal, uh, you know, preference. But it's like Jordan, Magic, Bird, Russell. I think Kobe would qualify for a statue. Um, mm-hmm. and, and then we just have this little like viewing gallery where rather than like a whole separate hall where it's like, you know, uh, they're being honored, uh, twice in the same place. It's actually a place where you can kind of just like go and pay your respects and look up at these giant granite versions of players who you would actually fly 3000 miles to go see. Could we maybe tweak Aaron's idea that way? I have no problem with that. That's pretty cool. I think someone would get super pissed off uh, that they were not included and a fan base would get aggrieved, but that's fine. Well, look, Um, build your own statue outside your arena, okay? This is the Hall of Legends, all right? Now, we're going to only give it out to the very best of the best. Jerry West probably deserves to be in that convo. Okay, let me go, go back through your list, Michael, with the names, and we'll say if they deserve a granite statue or not. Oh, this will be fun. Um, okay, so Michael, Bird, Magic, Russell, all yes. All yes. All yes. Um, <laughs> Bob Cousy. No, no, I don't no, think he's no, getting no. a stage. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, not, not, this, not this time. Sorry, Bob. Uh, incredible we, player. I'm not trying to diminish him, by the way, but I think he already got the president, Presidential Medal of Freedom, right? And <laughs> yeah, that, he's good. He's been taken care of. <laughs> he's, he's punching above his weight already. Continue. Yeah, we don't need to craft uh, a marble statue of Bob Cousy bending over, staring at the ball as he's dribbling. Um, Bob Pettit next, nope. of course, you've already... Okay, no. Uh, next is Jerry West, who you just mentioned as a possibility. Yes, I think he's got to. I mean, as the logo and, yeah, I, and also just the long-term nature of his career, uh, for sure. Okay, so the next two, I think, are probably going to be out based on everything that you've said so far, but Elgin Baylor and George Mikan. I might go no on Baylor, yes on Mikan, because Mikan gets the forefather, uh, the, the forefather love. If there's any player that people remember from the 50s, it's Mikan, right? Yeah, and you both wear glasses, so I see what's going on here. We're both gangly. (laughs) Gangly people towering over those in our daily life. Um, Let's give it to Mike, and just because we know he got 25 straight years of how's the weather up there jokes, poor guy. He gets it uh, by default. He's in. Okay, so we're up to five. Uh, Next two, I I personally think are both in, but Tim Duncan and Shaquille O'Neal. Wow. Great, great debates here. I would have both. I would have both in. Um, I mean, Duncan for sure. Shaq, I would actually think twice about, but I think I'd still put him in. 
Yeah, I, I, there's going to be a lot of big men, which always complicates the historical arguments, but Shaq is just so freaking dominant. It's like, he's got to be here. Uh, um, oh, next we have Kobe. I think we're both in agreement that Kobe would be there. Kobe's in. Kobe's in. Uh, so the next one was a little personal for me, and I picked David Robinson, and I don't think he would get a statue because growing up, he was my favorite player, and he would it would make me cry every time I watched him face off against Hakeem Olajuwon in the playoffs. So that's kind of like the standout memory I have of David Robinson. I know he did a lot of really great things, and his career was shorter than it should have been. But what are your thoughts about the Admiral? I think he's one of the most underrated players uh, in NBA history. I'm glad that you mentioned him. I, you're definitely a bigger David Robinson fan than I was, which uh, is good, but I, I consider myself uh, one of his fans. He just is so easy to forget because Hakeem kind of overshadowed him, uh, I think, yep. from that era. And Shaq, you know, kind of came along and swagger jacked him. And then Tim Duncan, I mean, just it was like, all right, well, you know, cool, cool comparison. You know, it's like Marsha, Marsha did it again. Marsha, 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 <laughs> when, when you're dealing with Tim Duncan and, and David Robinson. But he's not getting a statue, but he deserves to be in the Hall of Legends if we're doing the, yeah. the Aaron's version of this. He's an all-timer for me. Um Next up, we have three old-timers, Oscar Robertson, Kareem, and Will Chamberlain. I think they're all, they all have to be in, in my opinion. I think all three are in, yes, um, for sure. Uh, then we have the Malone brothers, Moses and Carl. You've no. already, no, no, I no, think no, Carl no, no. is definitely out. <laughs> Carl, Carl's out for sure. I think Moses can be out too, honestly. Like I think that he gets brought into this a lot because of the high-volume rebounding numbers, and there was a very dominant stretch from him. Um in terms of impact on the game, legacy, those kinds of questions, I just think he's he's short on that stuff. So I would leave I him like out. I feel like he's he's when we're talking about underrated all timers. Moses Malone is just like top of the list for me. Well, I think he's like a forgotten all timer, but I wouldn't call mm-hmm. him underrated. Like I think it was good that we forgot about him. If that makes okay. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, next we have Hakeem. Hakeem is in for me. Uh, that might be more of a, a heart pick rather than a head pick, but man, talk about, he would have been my favorite. Like if we were doing this podcast in the 1990s, it would just be like Hakeem Inc. Like we would have just been just everything that we say over the top about Giannis would have been Hakeem maybe times two, because like, who was the comparison point for Hakeem in the 1990s? You know what I mean? Also, Hakeem just has a 100% approval rating. Like no one is saying anything bad about Hakeem Olajuwon. That's just not going to happen. So I think he belongs in as well. And then just to close it up with I, our last fight. Yeah, hold on oh, one second, ahead. though. Can you imagine the Akeem Olajuwon, like, big man camp being open to writers like us, like, if we could go and study under Akeem? Because you hear all these stories about how he's, like, mentoring all these young guys with the footwork and all of this. Like, that's the dream feature. Like, Akeem, teach me the dream shake over a 72-hour <laughs> period with, like, Washington Post video camera crews in tow. Uh, that would be great. Anyway, continue. No, I 100% agree. Um, now we're getting kind of, this is the, the last five we'll close out on, and they're mostly, or they're all really contemporary in their own ways. Uh, we have LeBron, KD, KG, Dirk, and Steph. I'm going LeBron for sure. I'm saying KD hasn't earned the statue yet. I'm saying Steph has earned the statue. I think I'm leaving KG off, which I know is not going to be what you want to hear. And then I'm about to throw my laptop out this window. <laughs> and then and then Dirk is Dirk might be the toughest call of all. Um, 
I think I might leave Dirk off too, man. Oh, this is that's tricky. It's much harder with the more recent guys for sure. But let's say even we we brought in a couple of those guys too. We got that list down to like fifteen or eighteen, right? Yeah, um, I'm not. I'm not. Yeah, about there. We cut we cut off some fat for sure. <laughs> well, so that's good. Then I think that we can go ahead and start the GoFundMe page. You know, the Kickstarter for all these statues. I think that's a reasonable number. Uh, hopefully, the Open Floor Globe can chime in and uh, you know help us with the donations, guys. I'm sure that you have many differences of opinion uh, with Michael and I about who deserves a statue, who should be in the Hall of Fame, who should be in the Hall of Legends. Email them to us. Open Floor Mail at gmail.com openfloormail at gmail.com. Now, Michael, you've been whining, and we need to shift gears here because you have been whining on the text messages to me for about two weeks straight. Can we talk about Jason Tatum? Jason Tatum's having a great season. Jason Tatum just scored a new career high, 27 points. Now he's up to 32 points. It's been incessant from you, and he actually did have an incredible game uh, against the Lakers, uh, albeit in defeat. You know, you, you hate to see that for the Celtics, losing a game like that on national TV in front of everyone. Um, certainly it would have helped your case here a little bit more in touting Tatum as the, the future of the NBA if he had been able to pull that out and, you know, hadn't been completely locked down by the Lakers' double team late in that game. Um, now I'm just trolling you, but... We're at a very interesting <laughs> moment of Tatum's career because he's ascending, right? I mean, there's no question. You look at his numbers over the last 10 games. Uh, it's been alpha dog score night in, night out. I'm shoving the ball down your throat. I'm going to the basket whenever I want. I am imposing my will on games, and I'm attracting defensive attention in ways that I've never consistently done previously. And LeBron's vouched for him on Instagram. Uh, he, you know, made a point to go over and kind of c- congratulate him after that Lakers Celtics game uh, on Sunday night. So you add all those things together, Michael. What's the state of Tatum for you right now? Um, I imagine you are just bouncing out of your seat with happiness. I was so close to including him in the Hall of Legends, but I, I had self restraint. <laughs> <laughs> So you would be proud of me. Um, this is what I'm talking about with you Boston guys, man. Bob Cousy, KG, and Jason Tatum do not belong in the Hall of Legends. Come on. Oh, jeez. Oh, Jesus. Um, so a, a couple Sundays back, you, you texted me asking for a few lead ideas for that week's show. Um, I gave you a few ideas that you liked, and then I brought up Tatum, as you just said, uh, saying that if he had a big game that afternoon on national TV against the Thunder, that we should consider discussing him breaking out as the third best player in the Eastern Conference as a topic. You responded, quote, I was looking for topics, not sheer propaganda. So shortly after, he was named Eastern Conference Player of the Week. And in the five games since that text, which you so rudely sent me, (laughs) he's averaging 30 points, nine rebounds, shooting 50% from the field, 41% from the three-point line, attempting nearly 10 free throws per game. He guarded Chris Paul, who was the most clutch player in the league this season, down the stretch of that tight game in Oklahoma City on the road in a win for the Celtics. He outdueled Kawhi Leonard, defending Kawhi Leonard in the fourth quarter and having Kawhi Leonard defend him in a 39-point effort against the Clippers, also a win. He dropped the 41 against the Lakers in a two-point loss on the road. And just to uh, shape it out here, a cool 28-11 and 11 against the Timberwolves and the type of performance that true superstars have. And what I mean by that is nobody was watching and nobody cared, and he still came through. So, look, 
I I mean, this is just like incredible stuff, and it's a it's like an inflection point in his career taking place in real time, which we don't really get to see so often. Usually, these things happen, you know, in the they'll be like, oh, he's heading into his third year, he's heading into his fourth year, and then there is the leap. He's like making the leap in person, and like during a season when the championship is seemingly up for grabs and the Celtics are ranked top five in offense and defense and all they need is this one guy to be their alpha scorer their go-to person down the, the the stretch of a tight game when Kemba Walker cannot get it done because he's too small so I, I think Tatum I like I don't even really know what to say about what we're seeing it's it's really great to see I think his his defense is one of the more underrated parts of his game still and, you know, there was that play against the Lakers where, you know, he's switching on to Anthony Davis and holding his own and forcing tough shots in the paint. Like, these are the things that just put him in this new category where I don't I don't think he's as good as Luka. I don't necessarily think that uh, he will have as good of a career as Zion. I think those two are kind of just special. But I do think that Tatum is in that same untouchable category of young blue chip prospect. Well, thank you for that rundown. Look, Michael, I mean, we all have good weeks sometimes, you know, I mean, come on. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm just kidding. He's He's been great. What you're describing with the inflection point is, is kind of right on the money. I have a couple follow-up questions for you. Just want to feel you out here a little bit. First of all, is he going to make all NBA? Second of all, if there was a draft of all the players in the Eastern Conference, you know, and you can have them, it's like a keeper league, you got to have them going forward for the rest of time. Where does Tatum fall? Um, and then third of all, is there a current player or a recently retired player who this current version of Tatum, like this latest version of Tatum that we're seeing, reminds you of? So that last question is actually really interesting, and I've, I actually have an answer for you. Um, well, that'd be great because I, th- I just asked it, so, you know. That would be perfect, <laughs> this, yes, It's exactly. kind of how this whole thing works, Michael. When I... <laughs> So one, I wrote this piece about Tatum a couple of weeks back, um, right before he took off. And one of the statistics that really jumped out to me was how he was hitting pull-up threes this season. And as you know, as someone who watches and covers the NBA, like the pull-up three post Steph Curry, we've kind of realized that this is the unguardable tool in the toolbox that every great scorer needs. And so for someone his size to have sidesteps and step backs and these one dribble pull-ups that are just completely unguardable because his release point is so high above his head and he's 6'9", he's got these long arms, I've basically come to the conclusion that he's sort of like James Harden, but with Kevin Durant's physical advantages. Is that too much of a stretch? What do you think about that? It's interesting. I mean, I'm starting to see some like Paul George, like MVP candidate Paul George, uh, that version, right? We don't always Mm -hmm. see him, but like he goes to that pull up three a lot too. You know, I wish Paul George would put his head down and get to the basket even more than he does. And I think that maybe especially this season, he's just been kind of coasting on that stuff. But that's the player I see still. Um, and with the two-way commitment, with the length, with the frame size, um, maybe that's t- too basic of a comparison. But uh, I think that like when when Tatum was first coming in, he was getting more like Rudy Gay type comps, uh, like at summer league and everything. And I think that he is now into that Paul George category, where again, if if you're playing like that consistently, he will in the not too distant future be viewed as an MVP candidate because that's where Paul George was for multiple seasons. 
Yeah, and I mean, when you look at where Tatum is in his career right now with where Paul George was when he was in his third year or 21 years old, I think Tatum is far ahead. Um, So, I mean, to answer your question about who I would draft in the Eastern Conference ahead of Tatum if this was a keeper league in real life, uh, I think Giannis is for sure the number one pick thank god i was getting worried man like when you were running when you literally read every box score that he's had from the last three weeks to rub it into my face i was like this is about to be a takeover this guy's about to come out here plant his flag on tatum and say you know what tatum greater than Giannis." so i'm glad you didn't do that i'm not insane but you did deserve that rant so i have no regrets but i think after Giannis. Like, if I'm looking at who are the best players today in the East, I'm just like, okay, there's Giannis, and then then there's Embiid, and then there's a little bit of a conversation below that. If I'm doing a keeper league, I think Tatum's number two for me for, like, just projecting forward what he can be, health, uh, which is the number one reason why I would not pick Joel Embiid, Um, you know, stylistically, the things he can do and where the game is going and where he has value. I mean, someone who can defend point guards wings forward centers as well as he can who can also you know he basically wakes up in the morning and he has 20 points in the box score so uh pure score can get a shot anytime he's developing as a playmaker as you said in that laker game he was getting doubled like he was Harden this season like that defensive attention was they don't give that to everybody that's the, one of the best defensive teams in the league uh so I would yeah, take they, Tatum. Let me underscore that. They give that to basically nobody. I mean, they have not really done a lot of that this year, and they felt they had to. Like, the way they were doubling, it was like the scramble double. You know, it's like, oh, we got to get over there quick. Like, it was, you know, like the panic doubles, uh, as opposed to the like, all right, we know exactly what we're doing. And uh, it was the ultimate sign of respect to Tatum, and it actually, I thought, worked out pretty well. Um, I thought Boston's offense had some had some real issues uh, down the stretch there late. And mm-hmm. L.A. has had its own clutch offensive problems throughout the season. I mean, if you look at guys like LeBron, Anthony Davis, Danny Green, their efficiency numbers uh, in late game situations are not good this year. So LeBron kind of hitting that turnaround over Jalen Brown where he's like kind of smiling because he knows he got him with the fake. Um, I thought that was actually kind of a big moment for the Lakers. Like they needed a high profile late game tense victory where their offense actually did kind of come through. Um, they just sort of needed that for their own, uh, you know, sanity. So you're going to have Tatum over Siakam in a keeper league for sure. I love Siakam. And I mean, like his trajectory is completely unprecedented. And next year he could average like 45 points a game and it wouldn't shock me. But yeah, I think I'm going to go by a slight margin, mostly because of, I think, age is a huge factor here. Like, Siakam is not young. Tatum is 21 years old doing this, so for sure, I'm, for going, sure. I'm going Tatum. Tatum or Ben Simmons? I, I think that he is one that could get oh for, my. forgotten in this conversation, right? No, and I mean, I'm pretty hard on Ben Simmons in a lot of ways, and honestly, the way he's played over the past month or, you know, six weeks... I've been super impressed, and the fact that he's been able to score without the jumper, just kind of getting downhill in half-court situations as well, just shows just how special he he can be still if he just unlocks that one other part of his game. Even if it's just an elbow jumper, like just shoot from the free throw line, and you'll be incredible. Um, so Simmons, you you know, all of that plus the passing, which is just otherworldly. 
plus the defense, which I think he's going to make an all-defensive team this year, and he's in the conversation for defensive player of the year. Um, it's still it's still Tatum for me, just because of the offense, and like I can't throw the ball to Simmons and be like. I need you to I, I need you to score on the next like five possessions or we're going to lose the game. So it's Tatum for me. Yeah, that one is really, 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 really close. Um and you know, this hell stuff with Simmons, which we can get into in a second, I mean that might wind up being like kind of a tiebreaker in this conversation here. Um what about Tatum versus Trey Young? I mean, come on. <laughs> It's like, I, I, I love Trey Young. And well, that's why I asked, because you were you were standing for him for like a month straight of, of podcasts. And you, you can make the argument, okay, well, if he's going to be able to carry any lead offense, you get the right team built around him. Uh, you know, the lead playmaker with the three-pointer off the dribble, the deep range, the great handle, that's one of the most valuable commodities in basketball. Uh, I'm not arguing this. I'm just saying that would be the argument for Trey Young. No, for sure. I mean, I'm, I, I'm the reasons why I stand for Trey Young were basically because he was being criticized. I felt unfairly, and people were overlooking all those things that you just listed, all those positive attributes. I mean, when it comes down to it, like Tatum is one of the best defenders at his position, and you can play him in any lineup beside any group of teammates. Like, Trey Young, you need to draft a certain amount of players. You need to sign certain types of players. Um, you have to be very careful about who you put around him if you want to actually win a championship, which we don't know. We don't. We just don't know if that's even going to be possible. we got to see him in the playoffs and what he looks like on the defensive end when teams attack him on every single possession. Um, teams do not attack Jason Tatum on defense. They go away from him. He's feared. So uh, that's the big difference there for me. All right, a couple more because we're getting pretty close to this power rankings. Uh, you know, th- this list is very interesting, and we're pretty much in accord right now on Tatum, which is scary. It makes me feel like the propaganda, <laughs> it, it, it's working on me, Michael. What about um, Tatum versus a guy like uh, Dennis Smith Jr.? <laughs> what about Tatum versus Chris Dunn or Lowry Marketing? What do you think? Um, I was, uh, <laughs> you know, what's really funny, real quick, is that. Last year when Tatum was struggling, uh, like Tatum versus Lowry Markkinen was not like a crazy thing to say. And like, well, look, that's the that's the unmitigated power of Kyrie Irving in full effect right there. <laughs> Kyrie Irving has the potential to sell you soda, sell you sneakers and turn Jason Tatum into Lowry Markkinen. That's all you need to know about it. I'm not going to argue. But beyond that, like, I can't think of any players, honestly. I, what are your thoughts about the Embiid thing? Are you, are, are you that on top? Are, are you that in agreement where health is just such a detriment that you can't pick him? Yeah, I mean, if we're saying for, like, you get him for the rest of their careers, I would actually have Simmons over Embiid, and then I would have Tatum over Embiid, and it would really come down to me. That second spot on this list after Giannis um, would be either Tatum or Simmons. And the health thing with Simmons is now scaring me a little bit, but I might barely lean Simmons because of his ability to make his teammates better with the pass, but it's really, really close. I should also say that I'll take any of uh, Giannis's direct siblings over any of these guys <laughs> under the assumption that I could use that direct sibling to lure Giannis to my team. So you do have to bump Tatum and those guys down a couple pegs uh, because of that. But That's fair. it's a great conversation. Let's dig into the Simmons thing, man, because y- you've had a great time just 
slamming the Sixers at every single turn, right? And we get this tweet uh, from Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN.com over these last couple of days where it's basically like, look, we don't really know what's going wrong with Ben Simmons' back, but it's not good. It's not going to be solved tomorrow. They're weighing their options. Is he going to be shut down? Is he going to uh, try to play through it? He did try to play through it over the weekend, and uh, you can probably describe that how, how that went, but I think the short version was not good. I mean, back and forth to the locker room, uh, you know, discomfort, uh, you know, not really – you know, playing up to his full capabilities against Milwaukee in a loss to the Bucks. Um, I guess I'm just going to put this bluntly, Michael, because I feel like you're you're blunt when it comes to the Sixers. Is their season toast? Like, is this it? Um, was this kind of the canary in the coal mine of like, yeah, we were all clinging to the Sixers actually being able to pull this thing together at some point, maybe in the playoffs and making a real run. But is this Simmons news like the straw that broke the camel's back? Like, okay, like you can just write them off, forget about them. I think so. I it's I I don't want to like ever write off anybody completely this soon when someone a team with that much talent in particular. But like I wasn't if we're talking like championship. Yeah, stop I just right don't there. See that, Michael? Don't come on the podcast and lie. If you've ever wanted <laughs> to write anybody off ever in your life, it's these Philadelphia 76ers. Come on, keep it real. That's that's fair, Ben. I mean, I'm just trying to be a nice guy. Like, I don't want to kick them when they're down. Um, no, I mean, I, I don't see, like, I don't see them winning a playoff series, let alone going to the finals and beating an LA team or beating the Bucks or uh, beat like in the first round. If they have uh, whatever seed they do, they will not most likely have home court advantage. Uh, they've been absolutely despicable on the road all season. I have no faith in Joel Embiid doing what he did to the Atlanta Hawks last night uh, four times in seven games. I just don't, I haven't seen the consistency out of him at all as someone who's serious about being the best low post threats in Shaquille O'Neal. So I, I just don't see it there. And I mean, we've talked about this a million times going back to the trade deadline when I thought they totally screwed that up. And uh, the fact that they don't have a backup point guard is a little concerning. I mean, why would you not have one on your roster? Why would you not try to trade for one at the deadline? Um, so, yeah, it's it, it's not looking great for the Philadelphia 76ers right now. Can we please... Please, please get Heat versus Sixers in the first round. That's the series we need. Like, I know I've been talking a lot about like uh, Celtics Nets because of the Kyrie possibility. Well, now Kyrie's out, so we can just forget about that one. Who cares? We need Heat Sixers so bad just to see and hear and listen to just the incredible amounts of crap that Jimmy Butler will be talking throughout that series as Miami knocks Philly out of the playoffs in like maybe five or six games, right? That He's going to he's gonna obliterate them if they were to play. But I, I, I sadly don't think Philadelphia will get the five seed, which is a total bummer. What do you think is going to happen? Well, I'm looking at the standings right now and the oh, teams so below Philadelphia. You're predicting yeah, them the- to slide behind Indiana basically? I do. And I mean, I think that strategically that would be the wise thing, right? Like, I don't think that they would beat the Celtics or the Raptors, but I do think that 
especially against the Celtics, they have to like that matchup in terms of their size and and beat in the front court and for what se- he can do surrounded for, by as many shooters as possible. For a second there, I thought you were going to say strategically the wise move is to just tank and, and leave the playoffs entirely because they're not going <laughs> to beat anyone. Like I thought you were going that far with it. So you actually think Philly would rather play Boston as opposed to Miami? I do because you avoid the Milwaukee Bucks in the second round, which I think is just a humongous draw here. And if you want to show that faux progress from last season, it would be getting to the conference finals as opposed to losing in the second round again, and this time to the Milwaukee Bucks. So that would be the thought process, why they would want to drop down to six. So that's really interesting. I think this is telling, Michael, because I understand the logic that you're laying out I almost wonder now with the Simmons thing, if they have more pressing issues, right? It's like, you can't be looking ahead to like some weird path at the conference finals. Like they're like in day-to-day mode to me, you know, it's like, maybe they need to be trying like all out to get the four seed so that they can hope that home court advantages carries them over whoever they play in the first round, because they're going to definitely lose to whoever they have to face in the second round. If that makes sense, like have their, has their ceiling lowered so much where they're going to need to like reset the bar in terms of what's a successful season. Like, you know, if they wind up losing in the first round, that's an utter disaster. Like, do they have to just like, you know, go all out and hope that home court in that four or five, like puts them into the second round. And even if they get swept by Milwaukee or beat in five games, like at least, you know, at least they have something to show for it. It's a total disaster either way. So like, I don't, these are both lose-lose scenarios, I think, if you're the Sixers and you came into the season thinking that you were going to win the championship and a lot of smart people picked you to go to the finals, me included. Not, not that I'm smart, but I did pick them to go to the finals. So, it, it, like, losing in the first round, losing in the second round, uh, I do agree with everything that you're saying about this should be treated day-to-day. Um, I mean, that's basically their point guard situation where it's Shake, Shake Milton and tomorrow it'll be Raul Neto and... Uh, I don't even know who other, what the other options there are right now on their roster, but it's a total dumpster fire. My last question for you is this, Michael. I want you to imagine that you're part of Clutch Sports or you're part of the Kardashian clan, you know, the people that Simmons keeps close. Um, what's your advice here? Should he shut it down? Like, you know, we're describing what's really the end game for Philly. If Simmons is coming back, he's limited. Or if they're playing without Simmons, um, you know, you're looking at a player who, as we've described, has one of the brightest futures in the entire Eastern Conference. You're looking at a former number one pick who's incredibly marketable, at least in theory, especially if he had his own team. You're looking at a guy who could easily find himself in trade rumors this summer based on the state of how Philadelphia uh, has been kind of conducting business here over the last few years. And you're looking at a guy who is really encountering, I guess, for the second time in his career, serious adversity when it comes to his body you know after missing his entire rookie season um you know you look at him right now i mean he's basically 23 years old and backs are very very scary if you're one of his advisors uh whether it's clutch or kardashian are you shutting him down are you saying you know what this isn't worth it why are we even why are we even talking about this we'll see you next year i mean i think you need to consider that I really do. And it, it sucks because I do like watching Ben Simmons play. He's a f- total freak of nature. There's nobody like him. And I really like and enjoy players who are not cookie cutter. That's kind of, uh, those are the most attractive players to me. So not having him on the court, not being able to watch 
whether or not he can make it work with Embiid, which is always just a fun subplot of every single Sixers game that I watch. Uh, it would be a bummer, but I mean, that's what you, it's, it's something that I think he should do, right? Like he's very young and I actually don't think that his name would be the one in the trade rumors this summer. I, I do think that the, the winds are really blowing more towards Embiid and, uh, I, I mean, my gut tells me they don't trade either and that they, they let go of Brett Brown and that's how they try to solve this and then they head into next summer or head into next season just, uh, I don't even know, with a mid-level exception three-point shooter added to the roster and, and trying to sell everybody on that. But uh, I do think that Embiid is more likely to be traded than Simmons. That just makes more sense to me. No, the power dynamics right now are amazing. Like if, if Simmons wanted to flex on this whole situation, like he easily could, right? He can go to ownership and say, look, I don't fit with Embiid at all. We've been denying it for the last three years. It doesn't work. We could try to make it work, but all these other moves don't make sense. The front office has been, uh, you know, cycling the rotation around me. None of these guys are actually making me better, creating more space for me. We're playing the style that I want to play. So what are we even doing, right? So you could do the him or me thing versus Embiid and make a strong argument that it should be him, right? You could also if you wanted to, probably try to flex on the front office and the coach based on the things I'm describing in terms of are they making my life the best? I'm out here playing through back pain and you know, this is kind of a, a screwed up situation. So, you know, if I'm him, it's not impossible to imagine a scenario next year where like everybody else is gone and Simmons is like the only man standing, even if he shuts down this season, right? Like you could see an Embiid trade, Brown ousted, and then there's got to be real questions about Elton Brand at some time, at some point, right? Like I know they've cycled through a bunch of front office guys. And so more change there doesn't make a ton of sense, but if they go out in the first round and his whole grandmaster plan blows up in his face and there's not really an easy way to like retool things because guys like Tobias Harris and Horford aren't exactly going to be getting you a ton on the trade market. Um, isn't this going to blow back on him at some point? I mean, I think it already should have, right? Like at the going back to the transactions that were made last season, and I know that they were one bounce of the ball from going to the conference finals, but the Tobias Harris trade is just not what you want. It's you know, I I don't think that he is an All Star caliber player, and they paid such a premium for him, and then they overpaid him uh, in free agency because they had to keep him instead of keeping Jimmy Butler, who was the critical piece of last year's success. So I thought that that was just a complete screw up. I didn't understand the negotiation there and how he valued his own assets, uh, enough to, to feel the pressure to, to make that deal. Um, but yeah, I mean, if they look, I, I do think like if they do go out in the first round, um, there will be an excuse most likely with Simmons injury that he can, he can point to and he'll let go of Brett Brown. And, um, so he'll ride that I think through next season. But like, if you honestly keep the core what it is and you, knowing that Josh Richardson's contract is very precarious and he's going to get his money soon. Like I think trades, some type of trade needs to happen, like some type of blockbuster, um, maybe even involving Josh Richardson, maybe involving Tobias Harris if you can. I don't see how Al Horford is on the team making that much money with Joel Embiid. We know it can't work. Uh, so there are definitely some some changes that need to be made, and we'll see if he is able to pull the right moves off. 
No, I hear you. I think here's how I would play it, Michael. I would try to do a quote-unquote heroic comeback from the injury. I would take it very cautiously. If something didn't you know, come out right, I could at least say, hey, I tried multiple times. Then I would shut it down, and then I would be working the back channels like crazy, saying, look, Ben's a hero. He's trying to play through all this. Um, he's the real franchise player on this organization. None of this stuff has been working. Watch what they look like without him. That tells you how valuable he is. And I want all these people gone. I think that'd be how I'd handle it behind the scenes if I was a part of Ben Simmons's crew. And um, that would be great content for us, Michael. So let's hope it plays out that way. We've reached the end of another Open Floor episode. Guys, you can find us on Apple Podcasts by searching for Open Floor. That's two words. When you find our page, scroll down. It will say rate and review tap five stars it's just that easy to help us spread the word you can find michael on instagram and twitter at michael v as in victor pina i'm on instagram at ben.goliver i'm on twitter at ben goliver be sure to go there to sign up for my washington post newsletter and please guys go ahead and give me a click on the michael jordan kobe Bryant column let me know what you think of that as well we are going to be back later this week with uh, some incredible questions we got. Uh, We're going to talk about players who need life preservers off of their court organizations. I know that ties in with something that you wrote for SB Nation, Michael, about Gary Harris in Denver. Uh, We've got, you know, some other just phenomenal questions. But guys, always add to it. Openfloormail at gmail.com. Openfloormail at gmail.com. Hey, Michael, until later this week, I will talk to you. Talk soon, Ben.